Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda. I'm Linda Davis. Thank you for joining me today. A little bit about myself before we get started. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. As I was doing my morning devotional today, I had this thought come to mind. Remember, God had Haman build his own gallows. And that comes out of the book of Esther. And it's something we really have to lean on in many different areas of our lives. And so I want to just take a few moments today to encourage you that really, no matter what things look like, God is always victorious. He always wins the battle. And there's so many different areas I could go with just that thought process alone. We really... In today's day, I guess, for lack of a better way to term it, we haven't had our Red Sea moment. We haven't had our Esther moment. We haven't had our Daniel moment. We haven't said, we've said it, but we've never, the demand has never been put on us. If I perish, I perish, like Esther said. When you really think about that as not just some story that you're reading in the Old Testament and the Red Sea, you know, not just some story, again, you're reading in the Old Testament or some movie you're watching on television about Moses and the Israelites escaping Pharaoh and they walk up to the Red Sea. Now, I don't know anything that could look more defeating than that itself, truthfully. Like it's, there's no time for, gee, I wonder if we missed it. I wonder if God's faithful. I wonder if God's powerful. Did he really say none of that stuff? Like God brought us here and this looks pretty crazy, but somehow he's getting us out of this somehow. I love what Dan, no, I think it was Radshak, Meshach and Abednego. They said when they were going to be put in the fiery furnace, our God will save us. And I'm paraphrasing. Our God will save us. But you know what? If he doesn't, he's still our God. We still worship him. And that's where I really believe God is trying to bring his people back to a no matter what. No matter what, you're my God. Not if you do what I want to do. Not if things look how I think that they should look. But no matter what, you're my God. You're faithful. You're just. You're victorious. You're all the things that the word says you are, no matter what it looks like, no matter what my opinion is, no matter what my perspective is. 
And like Esther said, and we're going to get to this in a minute, are we, are we in a place where we take a step for the people of God that we know could cost us our life, but we do it anyway? Because we know, number one, it's the right thing to do. And we know, number two, it's what God has ordained for us to do in that moment. No, we don't. We do it if we've had 50 confirmations. We do it if we feel comfortable. We do it if we have somebody supporting us. We do it if it's not going to hurt our reputation. This is some powerful stuff right here that we need to grab a hold of. Will we say... If I perish, I perish. Let's put it in a, a little smaller of a perspective because we don't have to go before a king. We don't have to extend a scepter. We don't have to hope he reaches out his scepter. We don't have to do all that stuff. But you know what? Sometimes when we speak some stuff, if God has said, if God's saying, this is your such a time as this, right? This is what I want you to speak in this moment. And I actually believe we have more than one such a time as this in our life. But will we say, if my reputation perishes, my reputation perishes, I'm going to do or say what God had me do or say? Will we say, if that very close friendship perishes, it perishes? Will we say for people that have a ministry or a platform in some capacity, I'm going to speak what God has me to speak. And if my ministry perishes, it perishes or my platform perishes. My uh, reach of influence perishes. Oh, we want to still build up numbers. What are we doing? Who are we doing it for? Why are we doing it? Those are such important questions that our heart has to stand before God and give answer to. What are we doing? Who are we doing it for? And why are we doing it? My goodness, that's powerful right there. If it's anything other than kingdom's purpose, if it's anything other then salvation, eternity, saving souls, growing disciples, extending the good news of the Lord. If it's anything other than that pure purpose, we're missing it and we need to repent to God. We need to repent to God. So let's get to Haman for a moment. This is so powerful. And we, we forget this in life. We forget this when we look at circumstances. We forget this when we're coming from our perspective. But the truth of the matter is, can we just let the devil build the gallow and watch him hang on it and maybe keep our mouths uh, closed to what our emotions are going through? And I know it's difficult. I'm not saying that to be harsh and I'm not saying that flippant at all. I'm not. It's tough. I know there's so many times I've either said or wanted to say what my emotions are showing me, what my feelings are showing me. But if I do that, 
if I speak that out, I'm coming against God's purpose. And a lot of times we're frustrated because we haven't seen things that God has promised us come to pass. And truth be told, myself included, if we looked in the mirror, it's probably because of things we've spoken out to hinder it because our words have power. If you've followed me at all, you know I believe that, right? Life is in our words. Death is in our words. Romans tells us to call those things that aren't as though they were. It's really telling us speak in faith. It's not saying say these magic words is a magic potion and you get what you want. Call those things that aren't that God's will lines up with as though they were. And one day they will be. So we have to trust. When we look at at history, when we look at biblical history, we see that God does what he said he was going to do every time. There's no scripture that says God missed it. There's no scripture that says God spoke this thing out and it didn't come to pass. Not one. I can't find it. If you have a scripture that says that, send me a message. Let me know about it. Man has said it, but God is not a man that he would lie. And there's not a scripture out there that God misses it, that God says, this, this is, will be your defeat, even though I promised you victory. Man stumbled upon defeat because of their doubt, because of their faithlessness, because of their disobedience. And even in some of those situations, God still showed up and showed out. So getting back to Haman, and this is all in the book of Esther. So Haman, you know, he kind of represents the gallows here, right? I mean, I'm sorry, the devil. He kind of represents the devil here. Haman, he was in the king's court. He had influence. He had power. He was... One of the uh, officials of the king's court, I guess. He was promoted by the king. He was advanced. Haman was above all the others that were around him, just to kind of set up the time. And really, it's it's an evil time, I guess. The king um, was not a godly king. King I'm not sure if I pronounced that right or not, but anyhow, because of this king, the Jewish people find themselves about to be annihilated, right? We've seen this even in, uh, so to speak, modern day history. But Haman hated the Jews, hated God's people, just like the devil hates us. And so Haman, and Haman also, loved his power also, which the devil loves his power. That's how he fell from the heavens anyway, because he wanted to be as powerful or even more powerful than God. So Haman loves his power. He loves his position. He wants to maintain this. You know, he has a hunger for more, which takes place when power is mixed with evil. And so one man, one man stood in the way of Haman's power. And that was Mordecai. 
And Haman hated Mordecai and he hated the Jews basically. And so Haman comes to this place where he makes this plan. He plots out an evil plan to destroy all the Jews. Haman wants every single Jew to be killed, basically. Every Jew should die. It's all based out of an uh, overreaction because of Haman's arrogance and pride and hunger for power, right? He wants all the Jews annihilated because Mordecai won't bow to him and he finds out Mordecai is Jewish. (laughs) So this is the thing. While all this is going place, taking place, God's working in the background that nobody knows about, especially Haman, by the way. And so we have to trust when things look ridiculous, when we look defeated, when evil looks like it's going to completely take over, God's working things out in the background. There's an Esther nobody knows about being raised up. Name not even known, by the way. At this point, nobody even has a clue who Esther is, other than Mordecai, by the way. What I guess we would call a no-name today, right? That's who Esther is. She never would have entered anybody's mind as the one who was going to step up and help literally deliver the Jewish people from this evil. And so here we have Haman. Life's just really good for him right now, right? He thinks things couldn't be going better. And so he has this whole plan. He has this position of power, which I've said over and over. And he decides he's going to have these gallows built so he can put on full display Mordecai's demise, right? And then things are going to shift on him unexpectedly. He doesn't know it's he doesn't know it's coming. But the king is unable to sleep one night. And so for some reason he decides he wants the book of memorable deeds read to him. And while this is taking place, and this is all part of God's plan to save his people, probably none of us would have approached this this way. None of us would have thought, oh, hey, maybe we need to go get the book of memorable deeds out. No, we would have been locked and loaded trying to figure out how we're going to fight. That's why we have to trust God when we see the enemy building the gallows. And so while these book of memorable deeds are being read, the king realizes Mordecai, lo and behold, the very one that Haman happens to hate, had never been rewarded for a deed. So jump over if you happen to be sitting where you have access to your Bible to Esther 6 for a moment. In verse two, and it was found written how Mordecai 
had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? In other words, what reward was given to him? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now, just so happens, <laughs> you got to love how God works things out. You know, when we're not in the middle of it, when we're not dealing with frustration, we look at this stuff and we're like, oh yeah, but we have to remember in the middle of our frustration, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our worry, God's working it out. God's literally leading the enemy right where he wants him to be for his plan to be established. Purpose fulfilled. So the king asks in verse four of chapter six of Esther, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king, by the way, about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had built. You just gotta love it. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. Well, the king says, let him come in. So Haman comes in and the king says to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? So of course, Haman in his arrogant pride surely thinks the king is talking about me. He couldn't be talking about anybody else but me. So Haman says, to himself, whom would the king like to honor more than me? So Haman says to the king, while the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials." Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. I mean, this, <laughs> this story is just hilarious, actually. So the king says to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said. Now here's the zinger, and you've got to love this. And this is in Esther 6, verse 10. As you have said, do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have seen Haman's face? How on earth did he hide his disgust? in front of the king, but he's got to obey the king or he's dead. That's it. So, I mean, just think about this and don't fret so much about how God is going to bring justice to evil in our day. He will elevate the one that he wants elevated in the exact right moment he wants him elevated. And he will expose the evil he wants exposed right when he wants it exposed. And he'll expose the evil through their very own gallows that they have built. Will he bring their destruction? We have to hold on to that truth. 
and not waver in that truth because that's what the word of God shows. Just absolutely astounding. Now, when we jump over to uh, chapter seven in Esther, I mean, it, it goes downhill. It goes downhill from here for Haman. The whole moment that the book of memorable deeds was read and Haman happens to step in the court. Now he's basically, right, um, those who exalt themselves, <laughs> those who exalt themselves will stumble. They will be brought down. That's the word of God. That's what happened to Haman. Before he's hung on his very own gallows, he's humbled by having to march around the very man he hates and giving him honor in his just due. And so now Haman has to get ready to go into the feast with the king. Again, he thinks a moment of honor, by the way. Queen has our, Esther has already been made queen here. And I don't want to get into all that for sake of time in today's podcast, but go and read the whole book of Esther and how Esther kind of sets this all up. She's set in place. She's willing. She's obedient. She follows instruction. She walks in obedience to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the mentors in her life who are led by the Holy Spirit. That's a key point. And she's willing to say, if I perish, I perish. And so she has earned a spot with the king at this point where he knows she's not out for herself. She's not out for personal gain. She's out for the people of God. She desires to please the king and he knows this. So she has his ear. And so the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again says to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted. And what is your request? Up to half of my kingdom, he is willing to give her. Even to the half of my kingdom, it will be fulfilled for you. I'm in Esther chapter seven. And the queen says, if I have found favor in your sight, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed and killed and annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. The king is horrified at this and says to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this to you? And Esther said, a foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Now, can you just imagine? I mean, this is not a good moment for Haman. He's sitting right there. And Haman, it says in verse six, was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. He saw that Ham was determined against him. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king was basically disgusted 
and it's down in verse eight. The king says, will he even assault the queen in my presence as in my own house? And as the word left the very mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. They bring him out to the gallows. By the way, don't let it be missed. In verse nine, it says, moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated, sorry. It was abated. And that's, that's the whole point. The whole point of it is that evil was destroyed on the very gallows that it established to destroy God's people. And God's people were recognized publicly with favor and empowered to fully defend themselves publicly from evil. And by the way, Mordecai ends up being blessed by the king and Mordecai ends up being placed in Haman's position in the king's court. So the fact of the matter is, no matter what it looks like in our life, evil is going to hang on the very gallows they built to destroy us, God's people. And God's people will be elevated to the position and the power that evil tried establishing for himself or itself. We have to rest in this. We pray, we fast, we hear God's voice, we trust, and we understand God's working things out that we don't see on our behalf, setting people in position that we don't see on our behalf. And in the right moment, at the right time, he will awaken the person that has the power and has the ability to put the whole plan, uh, whole plan in motion on our behalf. God is faithful. God is true and God is just. And we remain in peace and we rest on those very facts. The devil will hang on the gallows he built to destroy God's people with. 